Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Elaine and Diane are certified coaches with personal experience raising children with challenges such as ADHD, anxiety, and more, and extensive experience in guiding parents to raise their complex kids with confidence and calm. On the podcast, Elaine and Diane interview experts, bringing you cutting-edge information about your child's challenges, teach you real-life strategies to create lasting change, and demonstrate how coaching can guide you to parent your complex kids one conversation at a time. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Welcome back, everybody. We are excited to have a conversation with our guest today, Dr. Sarah Shayette, who is a pediatric neurologist. And we are going to be having a conversation about what's most important for parents to understand when raising teens and young adults with ADHD. So welcome, Sarah. We're thrilled to have you. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So Sarah, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about what you do with families of complex kids and how you ended up in the work that you do? Well, so a pediatric neurologist deals with brain issues, um, also muscle and spinal cord. But for right now, it's, uh, you know, for the part that's most important is, is the brain. And so we deal with kids who have differences in development, which include things like autism and ADHD. And, uh, you know, some pediatric neurologists also get into more anxiety and depression and learning issues. So anything that has to do with the brain is fair game. <laughs> awesome. and, how, and how did you end up doing this work? What, what was your, part of your path? It's actually kind of interesting. I came to think about ADHD in the context of difficult headache patients. So I had a couple of teens who had these headaches who just that just were constant and would not go away. And it turned out that because of the stress of the ADHD, they were having headaches all the time. And to fix the headaches, I had to start dealing with the ADHD. And so, you know, most of my ADHD patients do not have headaches, but that's how I started because one of the things that pediatric neurologists treat is headaches. So did you notice the trend of a lot of these kids already had ADD or did you discover the ADHD in the process? Yeah, that was, you know, they were going around seeking treatment for the headache pain, but in trying to talk about what went into the headache pain, they're having a hard time in school and that's like a constant stressor for them Mm -hmm. and they're having a hard time at home. And so, you know, you could treat those kids with every headache medicine and they wouldn't get better. But if you started talking about and treating the ADHD, the headache got better. So it's kind of an unusual way to leap into the ADHD field, I think, but that's how I got there. That's fabulous. Yeah. Well, and I think that's probably true in a lot of arenas with ADHD that when you treat the underlying ADHD, all kinds of other things probably get better. I know yes, for me, mo- my anxiety got so anx- much better. Anxiety is huge. Sometimes it's hard to know 
whether the difficulty in concentrating is from ADHD or from anxiety. Oftentimes it's both. Sometimes it's mostly anxiety. You know, anxiety makes it harder to concentrate on things. So, you know, by the time kids are, you know, in the double digits of numbers, a lot of, a lot of time has gone by and uh, a lot of mindsets develop. And so it's not necessarily, oh, it's ADHD, oh, it's anxiety. It's often a lot of everything mixed together, not to mention depression and poor self-esteem, which I don't think is quite the same as depression and um, sleep issues too. Yeah. All of which we hear from parents all the time. time. Right. You know, I was, I want to check in with you because I often say to parents, I want to check and see if I'm accurate. (laughs) I often say when you have ADHD, that's not being treated, you can't get yourself to do what the world expects you to do. And that's going to make you anxious. And over time, that will often lead to depression. Does that sort of sequence make sense to you? Um, yes, I don't know if it's quite so sequential. It's, you know, yeah. I, I guess I don't think of it. That's valid. Let me start by saying Fair. that. Okay. But some people respond differently. Some people respond more depressed slash self-esteem than anxious. You know, we yes. all have different tendencies. So I can't necessarily say that the sequence is reliable, but all of those things can happen and can go together depending on how you're built. And it's, you know, when we study what to do, it's like we read the ADHD chapter and we have the ADHD medications and we read the anxiety chapter and we have the anxiety medicines, but it's often not so easy to you know, parse people out in these little labels. Well, and what's coming up for me is is one of the things we like to talk about is like, what are parents missing? What is the things that parents need to understand better in order to identify when is anxious? Okay. When is it ADHD? When is it, when does it get to be a troublesome enough that you should do something about it? That's right. Yeah. And, you know, I'm excited to be on the podcast today because sometimes when people come to my office, like all this has been going on for a long, long time. And these patterns have been just you know, sort of sewn into the relationship. And so sometimes I'm, I'm like the mop up crew trying to, trying to, (laughs) or whatever, putting out the fire after it's already become an inferno, you know, I think that's more apt. I do know how you feel. Yes, (laughs) I bet you do. (laughs) I bet you do. So, you know, I think that's why I started to do the book writing. It's like I'd like to talk to people before the before they come seek out help because by that time it's often difficult. So, so that's a common question that we get from parents. So, you know, we work with parents. We often say, we used to say four to 24. Now we say three to 33, right? Because <laughs> we're getting a lot of parents, of young adults. And oftentimes after the kids are about 10, the parents are worried it's too late, 10 or 12, certainly past puberty. They, uh-huh. they come in with the story they're telling themselves that it's too late, that they've missed the boat. And uh-huh. you're really here talking about teens and young adults. So yeah. Let me start by asking a yes or no question. Is it too late? Of course not. Great. Never talk about that a little bit. I have adult patients who are remaking their lives as 50 year olds. So it's only too late if you say it's too late. 
it's never too early to begin and it's never too late to keep working at it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like life is a process. So if you're starting, let's say after puberty, right? Or after, once you've got some, some infernos in place, some, it's been going on a long time and hasn't yet been well addressed. Um, what do parents need to understand to begin to shift their mindset to one where they're able to support? So, you know, I think the main thing is that, you know, a school year is going to come and go and grades are going to come and go. You'll get the grades or you won't get the grades, but you can't do anything for your kid unless you can make a connection with your kid. So to get your kid from point A, wherever their point A is, to point B, which is where you're kind of envisioning you want to be, you got to start at point A. And uh, I think sometimes the best thing you can do with the kid is take the kid out for ice cream, just sit there and eat ice cream. And not <laughs> talk about the, school. Not even talk about anything if you don't want to, just <laughs> sit there and eat the ice eat cream. Ice cream. <laughs> that sounds good to me. You know what? There are days, right? So, you know, just sort of finding a way to make a connection in a non-threatening, I'm not trying to change you way, you know. Whatever, it doesn't have to be ice cream. You could do a walk or whatever. I just think it's easier to talk people into sitting and eating ice cream than pretty much anything I can think of. So, you know, the connection is the important thing. And being able to see things from your child's point of view is also important too, you know, kind of stepping out of yourself and trying to see things from your child's point of view. Listening is a good idea. Yeah. Well, and as you're saying that what's coming up is like, as we were talking about that interplay between anxiety and ADHD, I'm wondering whether kids are generally more comfortable talking about feelings of anxiety than they are of feelings that they can't get their brain to do what they want it to do. I think the anxiety is often the more obvious thing for people. They know they're worrying. They don't necessarily know why they're worrying and they don't have, you know, especially kids don't usually have an, uh, a lot of insight into like, this is the executive part of my brain. They just know that they're behind. And so I think it's the obvious thing is the panic attack. The less obvious thing is what's going into it. Well, I was thinking about, I was sharing with you earlier that I have a, a daughter who's been studying for the MCATs, right? Really intense studying. And what she noticed, she struggles with both anxiety and dyslexia as uh-huh. well as ADHD. And what she noticed was that the anxiety was the biggest problem because she began to get anxious about what was going to happen if the dyslexia kicked in or became a trouble. So uh-huh. they were playing off of each other, but ultimately the anxiety is what would really derail her. Yeah. And what people don't realize is that the anxiety part of your brain turns off the rational thinking part of your brain. (laughs) And so when you're anxious, whatever you're thinking about, you're not thinking about it very well. Now it seems real. It seems like that's reality, but it's not really because you all know that when you calm down and think about it later, it never feels the same way, it never is the, the same kind of thought process. And that's a neurological thing. There's direct connections because when you get anxious, 
your body doesn't want you to think through, wow, is that really a tiger there? <laughs> you know, <laughs> huh, I'm not really sure, do tigers have spots or stripes? And then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe you know, I'll be okay maybe if maybe I just Maybe it's a leopard, not a tiger. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, I like leopards. They're big cats. What's wrong with cats? Um, right. So, uh, <laughs> you know, the people who survived were the people whose brains said, run, don't think. So that's how we're all built now. Yeah. 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 So from your perspective, so I love what you're saying. I think Diane and I both, we often say to parents, if you don't know what to do, there are two places to look, either lean into self-care or lean into relationship. And if possible, do both. That's, Aww. you know, that's kind of the big picture. Yeah. So we really love this message of really focus on the relationship, focus on yeah. the connection and the communication. A lot of parents at first will struggle with that because there's so much to do, <laughs> right? They're worried about what needs to be done or their kid falling behind or, yeah. so can you speak to that a little bit? You know, it's not a race. There's going to be time. You're just, until you can make that connection and be together at that point, A, you really can't do anything else. And, you know, if you have an anxious kid, there's a good chance that you yourself are operating out of anxiety, too, because it's a heritable genetic type of tendency. So, you know, there's time. We all have timelines in our head, but they're generally artificial. It's kind of like um, the leopard, the lion, right? It's just sort of that we, we see a lion in our head because we're right. afraid for our kid's future instead of going... That's the opposite, which is, you know what? I do need to take a deep breath and be willing to consider that I can wait a little while or I can take the time to connect with my kid. Yeah. Okay, it's and just to- a cat, not a lion. It's a cat. <laughs> it really is a cat, not a lion. <laughs> and also, you know, kind of take the time to recognize that it's probably your personal characteristics that are more correlated with success, right? So um, it's not your grades so much as your ability to persevere and to recover from failures and all these other things. So I know, you know, we're all about the SATs and all about the, you know, GPAs and all these other abbreviations, but it's not you know, what college you go to, it's who you are when you get there. So there's no hurry, but, you know, all three of us are seeing people in crises a lot of times. So we do, you know, we, we see people who we have to sort of get on the right road, but we can only do so much in the office. You guys have to have a relationship at home. You know, it's, it's, it's about the two of you. I can give you some advice, but it's really about your relationship more than anything else and how well, you repair that. Well, so one, so I, I'm heading two different directions. It's like somebody <laughs> that wants to talk about kind of how to rebuild relationships. And there's part of me that talk, wants to talk about the, once you've kind of got that foundation. And, and so, you know, because we've got you and you're a physician, on the hook here, can we talk about, okay, I've got a good relationship with my kid, or I've got a decent relationship with my kid. How do I talk to them about that, the anxiety? How do I talk to them about the ADHD? How do I help them maneuver through that process, assuming I have a good relationship? Well, and and can I just piggyback on that? What I'm, what I heard is first relationship. And then what I hear Diane saying is, okay, so then what's the next step? Okay. (laughs) Right. So um, again, We all are programmed to notice the bad things. There's a negativity bias in our brains 
meaning that the bad things stand out. And again, that's probably evolutionary. So if you're trying to get your kid to get some work done, homework or whatever, again, see it from their perspective. I have a lot of parents of eight-year-olds telling me, ah, that kid just wants to finish it quickly and doesn't care the quality of the work. Like, yeah, of course. I mean, if you were eight and four years ago, you were just (laughs) playing with Play-Doh and nobody said, oh, you like Play-Doh, do Play-Doh. And then you like whatever coloring, do coloring. If you don't like doing this, you don't have to do that. And then all of a sudden they're five, six, seven, eight, and people are handing them stuff. They're like, what is this? And I don't want to do it. So forget it. Can you blame them? Not not really. So, you know, the stuff that's obvious to parents, which is like people who try their best are good people and try harder, you know, like these are not things that is natural or um, obvious to a littler kid. Um, So, you know, I have 15 year olds who come into my office going like, Dr. Shayette, Dr. Shayette, look at this report card. I got a bunch of A's. And I'll say, wow, that must have been really hard. A lot of hard work went into that. Like, yes, yes. And I'll be like, you spent the last five years telling me that you wanted to avoid working hard. I'll be like, oh, yeah, right. You know, so, you know, pointing out the good feelings is where I'm going to this. Um, When people complete work, they don't take the time to notice that that is a really good feeling. And if you don't notice that, then it's just work, you know, for an eight-year-old, it's just something to get through so you can do the other stuff. Well, what I getting... love about what you just said, Sarah, was that it wasn't, I'm proud of you, but you really said effectively, you must be really proud of yourself. Yeah. Or what a good feeling it is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it wasn't about the A. It was about the work, right? It's, it's, sort it's of not that. about the work. It's about the feeling Ever. is what I would yeah. say. The work isn't important. You will learn about the, the uh, I don't know, what do people learn about social studies and the, you know, and, and math stuff and factoring and, you know, algebra and stuff like that. You'll learn it or you won't. But the feeling of accomplishment, that's, that's the point of all of this. It's a good feeling. And if you pay attention to that, you'll want to do it more and more. If you don't pay attention to that, it's like, Oh, got through that, got through that, got through that. You know, the other thing that's coming up for me as you're saying this is that I think the other thing you're pointing to is, is this values issue. Like the parents have a value around the work ethic, right? And the kid at eight doesn't yet have it. And so the parent becomes worried that you've got this kind of moral failure. And I see this a lot with the issue of lying. With what? With lying Lying. and truth telling. Oh, yeah. Right. Is that the parent has a really strong value around honesty and a kid tells a lie and they feel like this kid's going to jail. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, And the kid is feeling like, wow, how clever. Look what I did. (laughs) And and I got to fix it now. The lion shows up again. It's sort of, oh my gosh, this is terrible. My kid is a liar. I've got to nip it in the bud or he's going to end up. Yeah, JV and all that stuff, right? right? So yeah, no, you know, that's the most expedient way for kids to get out of the situation. It feels terrific to them. They feel clever. Yeah. And you're like, you're going to be in big trouble. (laughs) You're like, why? I just did something fantastic. (laughs) 
So what would you say to parents about that? And, and this, there's, this, we've come up with two and there are probably a dozen examples of places where as parents, we catastrophize our kids, typical kids behavior and begin to worry that, you know, it's, it's some indication of who they are for the rest of their life because morally they're not developing properly or something. What, right. How do you address that with parents? I would say there's a couple of different things, you know, I would acknowledge like, yeah, it really did get you out of that situation. That was the positive. That's why you keep doing it. But on the other hand, here's the negative. I can't believe a word you're saying. You have to be supervised. So sort of a lack of trust and trying to get them to understand what it feels like to be lied to, you know, sort of from the parent's perspective, it's like, yeah, you got away with it in the short term. But in the long term, your parents are not going to let you go on that website without supervising. Would you, would you trust yourself? And, you know, like nobody would bet money on you, kid. (laughs) So trying to get them to understand it from the other perspective is kind of where Because I think that from a parent-child relationship, that trust or lack of trust, how it gets to be, that that influences a lot of different aspects. Well, and what I love about what you're saying is that it's not coming from a place of judgment or shame or blame. It's coming from a place of understanding and helping the kid have a reason to want to not lie, which is my parent to trust me so that I don't have to be. Well, it's almost like you want it's a natural consequence. And I think that that's one of the things that it's hard to kind of keep it as a natural consequence and not have it show up as judgment. And that's, it sounds like that's an important piece. It goes back to that relationship and the trust. I think so. I never thought about it that way, but yeah, in general, the best motivation is one that comes from you, not from a fear of a consequence of my parents will catch me or somebody will catch me. Cause that just drives me to try to be more clever. You know what I mean? Try to get around it better, cover my tracks. So I think the self-motivation is what we're trying to build, right? Because when the parents go away at college time or whenever it's going to be, you really have to have that motivation within yourself. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. So I think what I'm hearing you saying is that parents can really have a more powerful impact on their kids by letting go of all the doing stuff and really focusing on being in relationship and cultivating relationship and also in helping the kids find their own motivation instead of, you know, some external, anything else? You know, most of the time parents will talk down to younger kids at some level, you know, they're trying to parent, they're trying to tell them they may be playing their own parent tapes in their head, how they're, how they themselves were parented. But if you let a kid talk, the kid will often be pretty insightful as to what's going on in their head and trying to figure out, you know, really how they're thinking depends on a lot of listening. I'm a big proponent of giving kids responsibilities. I guess this is all part of, you know, respecting the kid as a person. So I think it is important for parents to lead the kids and tell them, you know, things that they should do and give them responsibility. But part of that is not talking down to them, but talking to them, 
not necessarily like an equal, but valuing what they have to say and making sure that that's part of the interchange. I mean, we all have to tell our kids to pick up things and, you know, there's all, there, there will always be those things coming out of your mouth, but asking the kids, you know, what do you think about what the dynamic is here? You know, what do you, what do you think about how you're doing? And listening to the answer is really very valuable. Yeah. Well, and it's that, that distinction between mutual respect and finding a way to not feel like you're losing your power as a parent, because I think a lot of parents get really worried that they're somehow getting undermined by showing their kid respect. So, yeah, no, I, th- I think kids like to be shown respect and they will grow into that respect. And mm-hmm. so if you treat your kid like, you know, they're at the end of a leash, then that's how the kid will behave, including trying to get the leash off. But the, uh, you know, the respect is something that they will value. And I think that's an important part of a lasting relationship. Also walking the walk, you know, like it doesn't work if you're telling your kid not to be on their phone. And you're on your phone all the time, you know, like, um, especially with teenagers and young adults. Oh my gosh. Oh, there's yeah. on to you. Right. So call you on it, you know, demonstrating the pleasure in real life activities by having a bunch of them that you do is really, you know, you can't be hypocritical. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Sarah, what's the best way for people to find out more about you or get in touch? Sure. I have a website. Um, it's sarahshayette.com. S-A-R-A-H-C-H-E-Y-E-T-T-E.com. And that's and probably in the show notes. So you can. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. So um, that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Great. And you had mentioned that you have a, a comic book that you wrote for children. <laughs> Just to mention what that is. And we'll put that yes. in the show notes as well. I've written two ADHD books that have a lot of words in them. And so then I went into the comic book type of uh, presentation. And it's just explaining ADHD in a positive way. And it's called ADHD and me. So, you know, that's on Amazon. And uh, yeah, I we'll think have it's kind of cute, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Diane, should we do our wrap? Anything yeah. Else? So, well, like, yeah, before we go into our wrap, I just want to say thank you because yeah. it's amazing to have this conversation with you. Oh, I, I have enjoyed it. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me on your show. I look forward to all the episodes. You know, I know you're starting with this, and uh, I'm just going to be putting you guys on my Spotify or whatever it's going to be. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. So the question we want to wrap up with is if you have a favorite quote or a motto that you'd like to share with our parents that are listening. Oh my goodness. A favorite quote. I'd have to think about that a little bit more, but uh, what about a motto? I think it would be the do unto others. I really don't think you can beat the golden rule there, which is, treat people with the respect and the way you'd want to be treated. And I think it will come back to you uh, tenfold, really. Yeah. And I, I couldn't agree with you more as a parent. There's probably nothing more important 
that you can do than treat your kid with respect. Yeah, they are autonomous individual beings. Unfortunately, right? Wouldn't it be easier (laughs) if they had their off buttons and you had the little shock collar or control thing? I mean, geez, that would be terrific, but I think it's illegal. So (laughs) I was going to say, we might need to cut that part out of this. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Maybe not a shock collar. Yeah. yeah, no, um, basically, you know, I think the respect is important and, and responsibilities, you know, everything goes together. If you treat them with respect, it also means that you're giving them some responsibilities. You know, I recently read the Laura Ingalls Wilder series to my kid. And I don't know, but what stood out for me is all the responsibilities back then that kids had, you know, there was a lot of work to do and people gave the kids a lot of work to do. You know, the one that's called farmer boy, you know, this nine-year-old boy was hauling logs and, you know, off on his own in the woods all the time. And wow, that was probably too much responsibility for a nine-year-old, but on the other hand, he also wasn't doing three hours of homework every night. (laughs) No, that's, True, but they went to school, you know, part of the year. But anyways, you're right. There were some pluses and some minuses, but but it's okay to give your kids responsibility too. So yeah, love it. Thank you so much, Sarah, for being with us today. It's been delightful to talk to you and uh, look forward to what's next. You too, ladies. Have a great day. We'll see the rest of you on the next show. Take care, everyone. Bye. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.